Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle beat writer Susan Slusser, and today our first guest is A's hitting coach Darren Bush, who tells us about some of the changes Matt Chapman and Josh Fegley have made recently, and his work with players who spend time on the DL, plus how Marcus Simeon has blossomed into a top all-around shortstop. Then scouting director Eric Kubota breaks down the A's 2019 draft. All of that next on A's Plus. Today on the A's Plus podcast, we welcome back A's hitting coach Darren Bush. Darren, I figure uh, early June is always a good time to catch up with you anyway. We kind of get more of a sense how some guys are swinging the bat. But you've had sort of a, a, an interesting year already offensively with some of your guys um, who have changed things up. Um, particularly Matt Chapman, who went through a little bit of a dip at one point in April, maybe a little bit at the start of May, and then really started turning it on, and he said he'd made a a few adjustments while while working with you. How would you describe that? Uh, You know, during the season, you're going to have some ups and downs, and when you feel uncomfortable, you tend to want to feel tight. Right. And a lot of times I can make things a lot worse. And Chappie just felt uncomfortable a little bit, and he just kind of made little adjustments without even knowing he was doing it. And then once we got him back to a good hitting position where he felt comfortable and strong again and got used to it once again, you know, he started hitting the ball the way he's capable of. And once you start not getting the results you want and you start getting a little fatigued, you start to make some adjustments without even knowing you're doing it. And then, you know, it takes a little time, but you find your way. How would you describe kind of the, the little subtle differences that, that you guys decided on doing? Well, your hands start changing position. Maybe you start your hands start getting closer to your body or they start getting further away from your body. But you need to know where they're at all the time. And then if they're not in the right spot, then you start leaking forward, trying to create space, and you have to find that again. With him, it was just he needed to find his proper hand placement, know where they're at, know where they're firing from so he feels comfortable so he doesn't feel like he's tied up and he has to create space uh ramon loriano as uh, as we speak on a career high 16 game hitting streak which is actually the also the major's longest current streak uh he started off the season a little low a little little um down and um you know second year in the big leagues to be expected i think uh, it was being pitched a little bit differently. For him, was it a, more a matter of sort of recognizing what pitchers were doing with him, or were there some adjustments he's made at the plate? No, he's definitely made adjustments. But like you said, you expect that to happen to him out of the gate early because teams have seen him, and they're making adjustments to the way that he had had success, and he has to adjust to fight it. And he's done a great job of that. You know, he's worked on staying down, not coming up. He has a tendency to come up out of his legs. And when he does, he goes away from his contact. And now he expands out of the strike zone because he's not seeing the ball as well. And he's done a good job of making that adjustment. It's a daily thing. He works on it every single day. And once he recognized and once he understood that this is what I need to do, he's been every day working hard at making the adjustment. He's a guy, and I know you have several of these kind of guys, who's a very hard worker. When guys tend to be super hard workers, do you ever have to kind of tell them, hey, ease up a little bit, or maybe don't be so hard on on yourself? How do you handle guys who maybe almost want to do too much to try to get back on track? That's on a daily basis with this group of guys. Every day I have to tell somebody to back it down. 
every single day because this guy, group of guys, they do work extremely hard and they want to win and they want to be perfect. So it's a daily thing where I have to monitor them and talk to them about, hey, you have to slow down, take it slow, big picture, we're not living it, dying on every single at bat, big picture thinking, process, stick with the process, and over time it's going to work itself out. Otherwise you can just wear yourself out mentally and physically. And it's a daily thing that we have to monitor. Monitor how many swings they're taking, what they're doing to keep their bodies fresh. They play a lot of baseball. And there is such a thing as trying too hard while you're at the plate, right? I mean, maybe, you know, the whole thing of trying to, you know, hit a home run every at bat or, you know, whatever a guy might be doing when they are maybe in a funk and trying to get out of it. Absolutely. I mean, this is a sport where you, it's not a sport where you go, 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 go hard. You need to be smart. You need to know, have a plan. You need to have an approach. And you have to trust it. And going harder does not make it easier. It actually makes it harder. So understanding that and understanding that, hey, a lot of times less is more. Let's think small. Let's not think big. And let's focus on one in particular thing and build off of that. Uh, one really fun story in the clubhouse this year is Josh Fegley, and I know he had been working with you for quite some time on a swing. I remember talking to him sort of uh, maybe July or August of last year, and he'd sort of changed things up with his swing, was feeling good about it, worked hard on that, and he's done even more since then, and he's gotten off to, you know, he's really having a career year at the plate. What are your thoughts on him and what he's done? That's well-deserved. Josh has worked extremely hard. I mean, he's had to battle through a lot of things, some injuries throughout the course of his time with us, and he's worked really hard, and he is capitalizing on the opportunity that he's created for himself. He's done a really good job, and he has. He's made adjustments, and with him, it's a constant thing. It's a constant thing of him making sure that he's in the position that he needs to be in to deliver his swing. He's so strong and he's so fast that he has to control that. Otherwise, it will just rip in and out of there really quick, and he knows that. So he works on it daily, making sure he's in the right spot, making sure he's approaching the zone the correct way, and it's just ongoing. Yeah, he told me he tends to kind of like lean a little bit too forward it needs to be a little bit more straight up and and you know sometimes it's just timing but sometimes it's just a matter of like a little a little key with his hands exactly his posture is a big thing making sure that he keeps good posture because when he starts leaning he leaks out and it's something that he has to fight it's something he has to fight and he has to keep an eye on and it's continuous he does it every single day to make sure that he's in the position and every once in a while he gets a little bit too much turned, right? You know, and it's just a constant battle to make sure he's staying where he wants to be. Now you have two guys that have um, had stints on the DL. Obviously, Matt Olson missed almost six weeks uh, after breaking the hamate bone. Chris Davis missed some time and, and actually tried to play through uh, that sort of left side injury he had after running into the wall in Pittsburgh. When you have a guy who's coming off an injury, how do you approach things? Do you try to like ease, obviously you ease into it when they're on the, on the DL and you're working with them, but once they come off the DL, what's your approach? One is we make sure that the, their approach is correct and they're not trying to make up for lost time because you can't do it. So we have to concentrate on each individual at bat and concentrate are we swinging at the pitches that we want to be swinging at because they're going to tend to want to get results right now. And, you know, it's something that you have to, another thing, big picture thinking. We have a lot of at bats in front of us. Let's get locked into the zone and concentrate on just getting hard contact right now, get our timing locked in. Next thing you know, you look up after two, three weeks, and they're right where you want them to be. 
I think we talked about this a little bit last year, and Bob Melvin talks about this every now and then, um, about how Chris Davis is actually a, a more all-around hitter than I think people might realize. You know, people talk about the 247 average every year, which is crazy, uh, and all the home runs. But we saw even when he was dealing with the, the hip injury, you know, he was getting on base. He was hitting singles, hitting doubles, driving runs in. And so as he's come back, we're, we're seeing the same thing. How would you describe him, not just from a power standpoint, but as an overall hitter? Chris is a really good hitter. Um, you know, we can get caught up in power, and so can he. But as we saw when he was hurt, he he exploited the shift quickly. He has that ability to handle the bat, and he has the ability to just take his base hits what he wants to. And that's an attribute to him. You look up, and he has over 100 RBIs. You're not going to get all 100 RBIs on home runs. You have to be able to handle the bat. And Chris does a very good job of that. He can shoot the ball when he wants to. He can take his hits when he wants to. But he also knows that he has the ability to hit 40, 50 home runs, and he'll let it go. Now, you talk about the shift. Of course, I have to ask you about Olsen and bunting. He's also, he's a, for, especially for a big guy, he's a very good bunter. How do you feel about a guy with that kind of power dropping one down every now and then when, he, when teams are making in, in sort of an extreme kind of shift? I love it. I mean, you have to, you cannot let the defense have the advantage over you. You need to put yourself in the best position for success. Obviously, game dictating, situation dictating. We're, you know, we're down by two runs and there's two guys on base and there's two outs. I don't want him bunting. I want him driving the baseball. But the situation dictating, you can't allow the defense to be, have the upper hand on you. You need to lay down the bunt, and, and it's worked for him. He's, the defenses now are shifting back over. The third baseman is having to play in, and that's going to get him some hits. That's going to get him some RBIs by putting that defense out of position. Yeah, I love it. Um, there, was, there was some thought when he came back off the broken hamate bone, you know, concern because sometimes hand-wrist injuries, guys come back, they don't quite have – the same power. Did you know right away that the power was there? Obviously, we've seen the results. I think he homered like seven times his first couple of weeks back. But did you see it right away, like in the cage or batting practice? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really concerned about it at all. Yeah. He has so much power that him losing a little bit isn't really going to affect him. He still has the ability to draw, drive the baseball out of the park to any part of the field and not even hit it good. Um, so I wasn't concerned about the power going down. It may not be as much as he had before, but it will come back, but he still has plenty. So, no, it was not. He looked so good in spring and so good those first couple games that I was not concerned about it at all. Now, my last question is about a local guy, Marcus Simeon, who I think everybody always knows how far he's come defensively over the years. I mean, it's just night and day and tons of hard work. But he's also, you know, now he's the A's leadoff hitter most of the time. Um, and he's, he's hitting. He's kind of doing everything. He's one of the better all-around shortstops in the game, which we're talking about a major league shortstop, that's really impressive. What do you, you think? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you, you spend a lot of time working with him and you probably feel about Marcus the way everyone does around here. But, but what's it like for you to see the kind of success he's having? Well, I love it because I, I have – been able to watch him develop as a player at the major league level his entire game and yes everybody talks about his defense because it has improved so much but offensively he has improved tremendously he has the ability to move guys over he has the ability to drive guys in he has the ability to drive the ball out of the park yesterday he led off the game by beating the shift 
you know, that's a complete hitter. And he can go out there and he can change the game on both sides of the ball. I couldn't be happier for him the way he's played, how hard he's worked to become the player he is. And he's a blast to work with because every day he shows up. Wonderful. Darren Bush, thanks so much for joining us on Ace Plus. I'm sure we will have you back again sometime this year. All right, anytime. Our thanks again to A's hitting coach Darren Bush for stopping by today. We will be right back with scouting director Eric Kubota to go over the 2019 draft. Our second guest today on the A's Plus podcast is A's scouting director Eric Kubota. Uh, Eric, uh, three days of draft all wrapped up. Overall, uh, what are your impressions of what you guys were, managed, were able to do here in the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean, we're always... Uh... I guess exhaustedly euphoric at the uh, at the end of the draft. So it, it's hard to you kind of need some time and, and distance to really to really get a, a full fill for where you're at. But uh, you know, as we sit here a day day after completing things, we're we're certainly very happy with the with how things went. Obviously, there's always a lot of uh, emphasis on the the top guy taken, uh, and in the first round of the 29th pick, you guys took shortstop. Logan Davidson. What can you tell us about Logan? I'm, he's from Clemson. I've seen a few clips, but what what, what was it in, in particular that you guys liked? Well, first and foremost, his dad played with Billy and uh, Chris Patero, So Well, uh, there you go. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was uh, obviously the most important thing. But uh, now he's a Logan's a, a you know a college shortstop who who has a chance to impact the game both uh, at the plate and in the field. I mean, we like his upside in, in both places. So he's a switch hitter. Um, he's always hit with power. Uh, you know, we think there are things he can do to, uh, to you know, uh, probably close up a few of the holes that are there. Um, but we definitely think he's got a chance to hit and have power for both sides of the plate. And we think he's got the, the ability to be a, a very good major league shortstop. Yeah, interestingly, you guys took two um, college shortstops who are switch hitters. Um, you also took uh, Fullerton Saheed Valenzuela, who's from Watsonville. Um, what, what can you? Uh, that was you know a later round pick, but kind of interesting to get two switch hitting shortstops, really. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Saheed's a, he's he's a good player. I mean, shortstops are always your eye always goes to shortstops. I mean, shortstops, um, you know. In, in general, over time, when you when you're talking about little league to high school to college, shortstops are often the best players on the team. So, um, and shortstops generally have the ability to move other places if need be. In this case, we think both of those kids are, are standing shortstop and and have a chance to be to be good players. Uh, your second pick, Tyler Baum. Uh, he's a right-hander from North Carolina. What what uh, are your impressions of him from afar? Yeah, very athletic. Uh, he has his uh, a big fastball. We've seen him up to 97 miles per hour. Um, hard breaking ball. He's a kid we liked uh, in high school a lot, and uh, he he would, we knew he was had a very strong commitment to North Carolina. So we've had three more years to watch him. He's been a kid we've always we've always liked, and we've seen him, you know, make those uh, uh, make that development each and every year, getting a little bit better. And uh, we think there's a lot of lot of ceiling left to, to Tyler. Yeah, you, you, you kind of mentioned um, signability just overall as, a, as an issue. You guys have done a really, really excellent job uh, in the last, I mean, I can't even remember the last time you, you guys had a, a major 
signing who didn't sign. I mean, we, we don't really want to talk about the Kyler Murray thing, but at least you know he did. He certainly did he sign. Signed. He did yeah. sign. Yeah. Um, are you guys? Are you fairly certain that that uh, signability is not an issue for for certainly any of your major draftees this year? Yeah, we're pretty confident. I mean, there's a lot of discussion that happens uh, with the kid and, and with advisors, and I think we have a very good idea of what it's going to take to sign guys by the time we we draft them. So uh, we feel very confident. Um, that, uh, you know, all these kids that we think are going to sign are going to sign. Well, that brings us to our first guy who, who might have been potentially an issue in that area, Marcus Smith. He's a center fielder from uh, uh, high school center fielder, obviously, from Kansas City. Uh, what can you tell us about him? And, and um, where is he? Is, does he have a commitment somewhere? Should he not sign? He does have a commitment to the University of Michigan. Uh, but w once again, we are confident that uh, we're going to get him in the fold and we'll get him uh, in white spikes shortly. Um, Marcus is just a, a very athletic high school kid uh, with a lot of upside. He can, he's uh, a plus-to-plus-plus plus plus runner. Uh, we really like the swing, um, and I think there's, there's some uh, Curtis Granderson comparisons, you know, maybe down the road, but uh, just a, a very athletic middle-of-the-diamond middle player with a good swing. Yeah, there's been a lot of emphasis in the last couple of years on athleticism. It's not like you guys were you had ignored it or anything like that, but it does seem like there has been a real emphasis. Obviously, Kyler Murray was kind of the the epitome of that, but um, he it seems like Marcus Smith probably fits right into that that kind of mode. Yeah, I mean, I, we think athleticism applies to so much in the game, and um, you know whether it's pitching or or position players and. Um, I think it's it's kind of a foundational element to, to every player of the big league. So, I mean, that's certainly a focus for us when we go out and scout players in the spring. Now, your fourth rounder was a catcher, Kyle McCann, um, who until uh, Joey Bart was drafted in the first round by the Giants, had been a DH and first baseman, then he was a catcher at Georgia Tech. Uh, you also took another catcher, Drew Millis, uh, with, let's see, the uh, seventh round. What did you like about them, and, and what's it like to kind of, to kind of pick up two really good um you know uh, college catchers on the same day yeah catching's always it's it's always a need and um catching is one of the difficult things to find out there uh you know on the scouting trail so it was um certainly we it was it was a pleasant surprise that both those guys fell to where we had the opportunity to get them i mean they're kind of different players kyle's is probably more of a, a bat first catcher at this point um He's got a ton of power. He's performed extremely well in the ACC over the last few years uh, from a power standpoint. Um, I think, you know, analytically, he's got uh, extremely high exit velos. I mean, there's just a lot that we like about Kyle. And we do think the defense improved throughout the spring. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly feel good that there's a, that um, he can develop into to a major league catcher. Um, Drew is more of a catch first guy right now, very athletic. Very good uh, catching, and a switch catch and throw also. guy. Yeah. yeah, switch hitter, um, and uh, maybe a little behind uh, McCann with the bat, but uh, probably more advanced as a catcher. But we do think, you know, um, right now his strength is behind the plate. But once again, we think that there's there's promise with the bat. Now I'm not going to make you go through every single rest of the players that you developed that you drafted that, but I would 
really, really love to. Um, I'm going to pick out some of the guys with local ties because uh, I think there's always some interest in that. Patrick McCall is interesting. Uh, he's a first baseman out of Harvard, so that in, in and of itself is, is fascinating. I understand he broke David Forrest's hit record at Harvard, so kind of in some sense a little bit surprised you guys took him, really. No hard feelings there, I guess. <laughs> right. uh, but he's also local from Los Altos, and, and his dad, Milt McCall, played at Stanford and was obviously a, also a 49ers linebacker. What can you tell us about him? Right, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, uh, call me the ignorant cow guy, but I, I uh, okay. was kind of, uh, did not, was not aware of the Stanford connection until, uh, actually, until you asked me the other day. Um, David was certainly aware of it, and, um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, obviously, um, David does pay attention to the Harvard program, but our, our and he had noticed Patrick's performance, um, but our scout in the Northeast, Ron Vaughn, is a, a longtime scout with us really really like Patrick so it you know things lined up very well there um, honestly you know you get nervous about whether a player is going to get to you when you pick I was probably just as nervous that uh, we were going to get McCall as any other guy because I knew uh, I think David had a certain affinity there and I, I didn't want to accept the boss so yeah that's fun. He, I think that's, he's going to be a fun one, I think, for people to keep an eye on with those, those kind of connections. Um, also, very local from Alameda High School, Michael Wolforth, uh, UConn infielder. What, what do you know about him? Yeah, well, I, I did see Michael play. I saw UConn play. He's just a, a, um, an athletic kid, very good baseball player. Um, he's got a lot of fans. I heard from a lot of people. I'm, I'm friends with Rob Wilson who was his junior college coach, who sent me this long, expansive email about how great a kid he is. Um, I think Dan Kantrovitz uh, just over time has gotten to know this kid's father. Uh, I, and and our intern, one of our interns in the analytics department, actually played with him at Alameda High. So no there way. Were, yeah, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot converging, and uh, it seemed kind of kind of set setting the stars that, that he was going to be wearing white spikes yeah that's that's perfect we we, we always love the the local guys here at the, right. on the a's plus podcast do you see right. him sticking at second base is he maybe a utility type player or? yeah i mean he played a lot of he played a lot of center field for uconn uh we think he has value because he can do a lot of things um and you know he's a guy that's probably always had to prove himself and and we think he's a, he's a guy that that may continue to do that all the way to the big leagues now, I'm from Monterey, so I always notice when you take people from the uh, uh, peninsula, Austin Wall, Cal State Monterey Bay, Palm of Salinas, a right-hander, a very tall, like six foot four right-hander. What, what do you think of him? Uh, he's a lot of arm strength. Our area scout uh, had seen him early and liked him. Um, and we, we too, like, you know, when all things are being equal, we'd love to have local kids, so... Yeah, Cal State Monterey Bay, representing. That's, that's yeah. Awesome. Uh, anybody else kind of jump out at you that's either maybe a fun story or that, that you kind of took a special shine to uh, in the weeks leading up to the draft? Well, it was kind of a funny story. We uh, we took uh, a left-hander from Yale named uh, Kumar Nambiar, mm -hmm. and uh, it turns out that uh, Peter Woodfork sent, sent David Force the uh, text after we took him and let us know that we just drafted his intern. Oh, so, no way. Yeah, yeah. So uh, David said, well, I guess he's our intern now. Yeah. So, wow, that is, that is multi-purpose. Yeah, yeah. That's and awesome. just a, a couple other guys. I mean, we, we did, there were a couple kids uh, we took in the 11th and 12th round that we were really excited about. Dustin Harris, the third, third baseman 
from St. Petersburg Junior College and then this uh, high school third baseman from the Toronto area named T.J. Schofield Sam. Both kids that we had evaluated much, much higher, and it, it, we were just able to make something work. So that's nice kind of outside of the, those prime prime picks that the, we have some kids there that we certainly are optimistic about. Oh, that's great. Well, this gives everybody kind of um, some names to look for in the coming years, and uh, best of luck with everything, and great job with the draft. How much sleep have you gotten lately? Uh, a little bit more last night, so I'm trying to build build that back up. <laughs> Fantastic. Great work as always. Thanks so much, Eric Kubota, for joining us on A's Plus. Okay, thanks, Susan. Thanks again to A's Scouting Director Eric Kubota for joining us today on A's Plus. Our producers were Libby Coleman and King Kaufman. We will be back next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe.